My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 190. We're so close to episode 200, like what in the world? (laughs) It feels so good to still be doing this show, building this space, and just to look back and see how far we've grown, honestly. So if you've been there from the jump, thank you so much. If you're just discovering us, welcome to the family. Audio episodes like this go out every single Monday. You can check out our video series. There's three seasons of that, our tour series, sign up for our workshops and wellness events by going to legallycluelessafrica.com. All right, let's jump into this episode. The story that's coming up is part two of Che's story. Listen to this. And that week, I remember I just said, I'm just going to go on a drinking spree. If I die, I die. Now, there's something that we call Jack Bowers. If you've watched the series 24, there's a main character called Jack Bauer. So what Jack Bauer is, is drinking 24 hours straight without resting. And so now I I had done I had done three Jack Bowers and I was at a place DJing and at 9 p.m. I got on the decks. The last thing I remember seeing was the machine. Next thing I knew, I opened my eyes and I was in a small room with white walls. Now, as a drunkard, there's an African saying. It sounds better in Luganda, but I'll say it in English. It says, okay, in Luganda it says, Omtamivu which means a drunkard will never fail to find his way home. That is Chess Story Part 1 is in episode 189. If you've not listened to it, it would kind of make sense for you to listen to that first before this. But hey, there's no rules in this space. Right now, the song of the... Oh my goodness, the song of the week. I, yeah, yeah, I love this song so much. I love the artist. I feel like he's got quite an interesting vibe about him. And I'm just like currently digging into his sound and the song is called done for and it's by manny wells it's just got a good vibe imagine it's just got a good vibe it's got a good vibe i think you need to check it out there's some horns there's some african drums like it's a yummy song so i've put a link to it in the show notes for you to check out and finally oh my goodness can you pause and just applaud for me (laughs) because this has taken eons the first legally clueless playlist is out dun, 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 dun. no seriously i finally got off my ass and did it and this first playlist is called sheer butter on my melanin if you're day one of this podcast you know that i find some songs to be so yummy that they remind me of like you know when you put in sheer butter on your black african skin and it just feels so good and it's just like glimmering yeah there's some songs that give me that feeling <laughs> And those songs are in this first playlist. I have put a link to it in the show notes. I'm still trying to figure my way around this playlist thing. So yeah, go check it out. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope it gives you the same feeling as well. And I really hope this is not the first and last playlist. (laughs) This is not the first and last playlist I I make. You know, seriously, I want to do more of them. Just because like music is so beautiful. It's so powerful It transforms my moods, it makes me happy, it keeps me company, and I'd like to be able to, the same way as I share the song of the week, share, you know, a collection of songs that I'm digging through playlists. My friend and I do this a lot, although she doesn't send me playlists, Akiseba, so... (laughs) I've sent her playlists in the past because that's for, for her, she says, if you love her, that's 
the way you show it. And so I've been sending her playlists. I think I've sent her like three. And yeah, I've sent one other person a playlist before. <laughs> and it was a playlist for, you know, intimate times. But um, yeah, I think I enjoy putting them together. It reminds me a lot of my radio days. And yeah, the link to it is in the show notes. What I wanted to share before we jump into the story is something that is so nice. So earlier today, actually, Manifest, who is an amazing Ghanaian rapper, he's been on the podcast before, by the way. So that was really awesome. It was great getting to know him. I was meant to link up with him in New York when I went in September. He was there for the New York leg of his tour, but we were meant to link up the day I got into New York because that's when his show was. And let me tell you, I was just exhausted. (laughs) Not even exhausted, just exhaust. It's too much. Anyway, so he posted this question, what would change your life for the better right now? And it was so interesting that it landed on my timeline when I logged into Twitter And I thought, absolutely nothing. And then I thought, oh my God, I never thought I'd get here. And it's not absolutely nothing in like a jaded way of, fuck this world, it's so terrible, nothing's going to change. No, 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 no. It's from a very empowered standpoint. You know, I just felt like I've accepted everything that was, everything that is, everything that will be, and everything that isn't. And I think a huge part of it is two things. One, intentional work with my therapist, the newest therapist. I think, man, I've never felt this grounded. Never felt this grounded. In fact, I was telling my friend the other day, I experienced something that in the past would definitely have me crying and just like emotionally destabilized and just freaking out. And I just, I just wasn't... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it it may have felt like I was being a bit cold. No, it's just that I took the situation for what it was. I acknowledged that I didn't have a role in it. And I acknowledged that, bro, this is this is above me now. And it's it's not something that would rattle my being emotionally. And I was like, what? We have really put in that work and it's showing. It's it's beautiful. And then the second thing is my intentional work on my ancestral connections. I've never felt so fulfilled. I've spoken about having my ancestral altar on this podcast before and just actively reading up on various, you know, African beliefs and practices around spirituality and to be quite frank, I found I found it to be so fulfilling. I found it to be so natural for me when it comes to, you know, working on my ancestral altar. I was talking to my aunt about it earlier this past week and she was like, oh my goodness, what is that? And I sent her a photo of it and she's like, that's quite powerful. I just, I just feel so centered. I, I don't even know if there's words to explain the feeling. So centered around it. I've and then it's so personal. It's not, you know, you read different things around spirituality, around African spirituality. And if you're not careful, you can really get into cult-like behavior. You know, just the same way with let's say Christianity, which I believe to be a cult and to be born on really strange foundations. 
you can lose yourself in, in, in it. And I find that the way I've approached my spirituality is from a very individual perspective and going with what feels good for me, not going with what everybody's doing or whatever. It's like, this feels good for me. I'm going to sit in this. I'm going to work this into my routine. I feel fulfilled. And I think that's a very powerful standpoint because it's driven by you, the individual, and not a collective. I read up on what I want to learn more about. I follow people and some things they say resonate with me. Some things they say, I'm just like, oh, this sounds a bit strange, sis. I'm not going to take this. It's very individual driven and and I like that for me. I really do like that for me. And I think those two things, intentional work with my therapist and really just individually trying to connect with spirituality from an African lens have just placed me in such a powerfully grounded space. It's it's amazing. I didn't think I would get here. And not to say that every day is fucking fantastic. No, it's like I'm very grounded, very content. So even when they're happy days, I let myself be happy. When they're sad days, I sit in it from a very grounded perspective, not from fuck I'm breaking, you know? And it feels good. I really think I'm tapping into a new powerful version of myself. And it's it's cost me so much to get here. It's 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 really cost me so much and and some of the things it's cost me is that I've I've acted out of character in the journey to get here I have lost a lot of people I have been yanked out of what I thought was my comfort zone or spaces that you know coddled me and looking back yeah they felt good but they were not what I needed and so it's it's been oh my god it's been like a season of loss you know, some of the losses I've gone through, I'm not even ready to talk fully about them on this podcast, but like it was a season of intense, extreme loss and loss of people, loss of character, loss of, of values and learning. And I just think all of that was so necessary. I've gotten to like the top of the hill, you know what I mean? Where you're like, ah, you see this beautiful view and you're like, okay, that's why I had to endure that exhausting excruciating tiring hike up this hill exactly that's that's where i am and oof it feels good okay let's jump into a hundred african stories and this is part two of Che's story part one is in episode 189 you should definitely check out part one and it's all about her battling and beating alcoholism i'm gonna tell you more on the book that she has authored around this but first here's part two a hundred african stories on legally clueless stories from africa and what happened in 2019, 2019 was a very interesting year. I had two life-threatening abortions and this was the year that I lost my eldest brother who was living in the UK. And that is the time when I got the news when I was in a bar. I was drinking and somebody found me and delivered the news to me because my family didn't know where I was. Nobody knew where I was. I had no phone. I, I literally existed. All my, any papers that identified me had either been lost or stolen or whatever. I literally existed. And so when I got the news, I really broke down because now it hit me. I started to think about mom, like this happened to mom. Now it's happened to Kenneth. Why won't it happen to me? 
because he died of alcohol-related complications as well. He was actually discovered in his room three days. He had passed out on Monday, but they discovered him on Thursday. And that's when they delivered the news. And that week, I remember I just said, I'm just going to go on a drinking spree. If I die, I die. Literally, I said this because what am I doing? I remember that week I had two life-threatening incidents. I remember I was invited to uh, play and DJ at a bar. Now, there's something that we call Jack Bowers. If you've watched the series 24, there's a main character called Jack Bauer. So what Jack Bauer is, is drinking 24 hours straight without resting. And so now I had done... I had done three Jack Bowers and I was at a place DJing and some guy walked up to me and told me, hey, you're such a great DJ. I've come here a lot and I've heard you play and I'd like to invite you to play at the opening of my bar tomorrow. I said, sure, sure thing. I was extremely drunk and I said, sure thing. I'll be here. Come pick me up and we'll go together. And so he picked me up the next day. Now, the next day was the fourth Jack Bauer and he says, uh, you know, come, let's go. And so we get to the bar and I remember I was on autopilot, I was so drunk. And as soon as we got to the place, he asked, would you like something to eat? Because I think he really looked and said, she's so beat. And he asked, would you like something to eat? And I said, no, I'm good. Just get me my, my, my drink. And he said, what brand? And then they brought the brand. And I just began to drink. And so in two hours at 9 p.m., I was supposed to get on the decks to play. And at 9 p.m., I got on the decks. And the last thing I remember seeing was the machines. Next thing I knew, I opened my eyes and I was in a small room with white walls. Now, as a drunkard, there's, a, a, there's an African saying. It sounds better in Luganda, but I'll say it in English. It says, okay, in Luganda it says, Omtamivu tabulwakubo elidayo ewaka, which means a drunkard will never fail to find his way home. Now, even being homeless, I had familiar spots. However beat I was, I would walk to some places and, you know, I would curl up in a corner and just black out there. I knew my spots, you know, in the city. And <laughs> I woke up in this room and I looked around. Listen, I wasn't even hungover. I was still drunk. And I looked around and I said, Che, yeah, this is no one of ours. And I began to panic because I was drunk and now I'm frightened. I looked over to my right and there was a gentleman next to me. And that's one thing that I, in my entire time on the street, I never ever compromised myself to offer sexual favors. That drove me, listen, I was hysterical. I got up, I staggered to the door and I started to pull on it. Now, at that time, I didn't have my glasses, so I was blind and drunk. I couldn't see anything. I just wanted to get out of the room. And so I'm pulling on the door and then I hear this gentleman wake up and he says, why are you banging at the door? Stop making noise. And I'm like, oh my goodness, he's awake. He's going to kill me. Who is this guy? And I just start pulling at the door and I start banging on it and I'm shouting, help, anyone on the other side, help. And the next thing I knew is his hand came around me and he started to choke me. And he was really, yeah, choking the life out of me. And I felt my consciousness slip further and further. You know when they say your life flashes before your eyes when you're going to die? It actually happens. I started to see my childhood, you know, happy with mom, then seeing mom, then seeing dad in this I hadn't heard from my dad in about five four years and all I'm thinking is no one knows where I am this is how I go out 
like Che with all our dreams and ambitions, like this is how it ends, like a chicken and my consciousness is just slipping and slipping. And I remember I heard him ask, are you going to stop making noise? But I was so weak, I couldn't speak. And so I just nodded and he helped me sit down. And then he explained to me what had happened. The night before when I had passed out at the decks, one of the workers of the bar, it was a dingy place. It wasn't even a, it was in a neighborhood I never even go to, you know. And so one of the workers actually put me in a, a couch that was next to where he was seated. And so long story short, the worker sold me to him for 600 bob Kenya shillings converted 600 bob literally like five dollars he said i can sell you this this lady and he sold me to him and this guy put me in his car he told me look outside there's a white tx over there and i looked out the window and there it was because i couldn't believe what was happening i was drunk and just in a state of disarray and so i peep and he says the first tx you see they are white i did not remember any of these things he said that car is the one i brought you in and he said he brought me home and he was actually going to assault me but Somewhere, somehow, it was the time of the month. And he said, I, I don't roll like that. So that's what had saved me. Listen, I've never been more glad to see my period. And he asked me, he's like, why are you like, you know, you don't even look or sound like any of the girls or the women who come in this place. You seem intelligent. You seem learned. What is like, what, what are you doing here? And all I could think of was, I don't want to be here. I don't have time to explain the last 15 years of my life to this man. I need to just go somewhere and drink because I had to be playing at a certain bar, one that opens in the morning. I was the morning DJ. So all I could think of is, sir, I, I, I really can't help you. I need to leave. And eventually he let me out. He let me out and I, I left and I went to drink. Now, this is the fourth Jack Bauer. I go to this place to DJ. And after DJing, a few friends suggest we go to a house party. And I went to the house party. And I was so... At this point, I was... <laughs> I think if I had done one more Jack Bauer, it was lights out. And, but that's the kind of tolerance I had built because of the lifestyle I was living. And I remember I got to this house party and as I walked in, I was, this is, this is how drunk I was. There was a pallet table in the middle of, of the, the sitting room. And because I'm a, I was a smoker, I liked sitting at the balcony because I didn't like inconveniencing people. So I'm, there was so many people seated on the ground. So I'm climbing and jumping over people's legs to get to the balcony. Now, just as I'm about to head to the balcony, I'm holding a drink from where we've been. It's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And next thing I hear, somebody shouts, Che! And I'm so drunk, I turn around and I thought, you know, someone's excited to see me. I'm like, yes. And then I just heard like a, a, a group of people shout in chorus, Che. And I'm like, what? Then someone shouted, your leg. And I'm like, what's going on? And I looked down and my leg was just sliced open, my right leg. Now the pallet table had a glass top. The, the corner had broken so in my jumping, it's literally sliced open and I look down and my leg was just white meat open. I'm looking at my leg and I can't believe what I'm seeing because it was what it was. I couldn't feel a single thing, nothing at all, you know, and I just began to laugh like that's how drunk I was. I began to laugh and everyone is in a panic. All of a sudden, blood just began to gush. Like there was a whole pool of blood just going and the host of the place is freaking out. Everyone is freaking out. Guys like, take her to the hospital, take her to the pharmacy. And a bunch of friends helped me. Um, we walked to the pharmacy. Imagine, I walked with a glass of alcohol to the pharmacy 
and we get to the pharmacy and the nurse is like we like what it was it looked so bad she said i'm not treating this lady until you come with a police report it looked like i had been assaulted but they said no please like she just cut her leg on we're from a house party see she even has alcohol i was laughing the entire time so she had mercy on us and she took me behind and my le- I actually have photos but it's it's a very interesting thing how numb you can get if you have enough alcohol in your system and so she comes to me and she said first of all there's three things i don't deal with in life onions cockroaches and needles so she actually suggested and she said this thing has to be stitched and i told her you need in your entire medical knowledge you need to find an alternative because I don't deal with needles. And she said, if this thing doesn't get stitched, it's going to get infected and you can lose your leg. I was stubborn and stiff-necked. I said, find an alternative. And so we wrestled, we wrestled, but eventually she said, fine, whatever. And she just got some gauze and some cotton and cleaned the wound and she bandaged it. So the wound was open for all these months. It got infected, it got septic. I was, you know, a crippled homeless person. I was a crippled homeless person. I looked so terrible. The bandage, I, I, I didn't have money to change the bandage because you had to change it every other day. But it became brown, like I was just walking. It, it was such a terrible sight. The leg got infected. At some points, I couldn't walk. This was a point where now I knew it's, it's done for. Who knows if the leg is going to get better? So this is me on the street just being there, you know. And uh, somewhere, somehow, some money appeared courtesy of, of my family. The Uganda National Roads Authority gave our family some money because they wanted to construct a road through the place where my mom was buried. And so they had to compensate the family. And so they sent, because nobody could locate me, they gave my portion of the money to my brother. And so my brother began a manhunt for me in Kampala. And eventually he found me in one of the bars and he told me, this and this has happened. You have such and such amount of money. If you want to get it, you have to find your way to my workplace. We go to the bank, I withdraw it for you, and then I give it to you. And... First order of things is he got me a broker to get me a house. He said, go with this broker. This is the broker fee. Find a house. Find out how much it is for four months. Come to my workplace. I give you the money. Went to the broker. I got, uh, found a place affordable. It was a tiny place like a bed sitter, but much smaller. And for me, as long as it was just a roof over my head, I said, we're good. And I paid for the place. I moved in Feb 7th, 2020. And... You know, it was this, for me, this was now a new beginning. It's like, man, Che, like, let's not mess this up. You know, you know that motivation you have at the beginning, like, yo, this is another chance. And I remember, I didn't even have much in the house. I literally, my brother gave me money, but I bought the literal bare essentials. I had a mattress, I had a pillow, an extension cable. Period and a blanket. There were no, there's no pillowcase and and bed sheets. Mm-mm. There was no bed. It was a mattress, <laughs> a blanket, and an extension cable plus a phone. I bought a phone, and so with that I began to you know apply for jobs, but I hadn't been in in work in a long time, and the advertising agency, the scene had now morphed, you know. But I I managed to score some interviews, which I think I was gonna ace and and you know get through. But uh, eventually uh, the lockdown the lockdown hit. And this was a time when now I had got myself together as a DJ. You know, I had, I now created a YouTube channel. I had my mixes up. I had portraits. You know, I had been booked for gigs and stuff like that. I had played at some gigs, but around March, March is where the lockdown hit. And for me, I look back and I'm like, where would I have been during the lockdown if I was still on the street? God's timing. But um, so the lockdown is here. 
I had literally drunk all my money. I had no money. There was no access to to alcohol and cigarettes because the part of town where I was staying was it was a little bit out of town. So the lockdown had put a mandate that the only cars allowed to move are essential workers, doctors uh, and all that. So breweries are not stocking shops and stuff. So there's no alcohol. There's no cigarettes because people were buying in bulk and hoarding. So there was no cigarettes. There was no alcohol. And that began my own rehabilitation process, which was grueling. And I remember that is where I went through a very grueling time of withdrawal because, wow, for the first time in life, all those five years I had never, where I was escaping with alcohol and trying to drown out each and everything I was going through, everything was clear before me. And it was grueling. It's very grueling because you are stuck with your thoughts. You can't run away from your thoughts. The worst battlefield in the world is the mind because you, you take it with you everywhere. So began a journey of months of self-reflection, of feeling things that I had tucked away, some things that I had forgotten. I was going through acute withdrawal where it was now physically manifesting. I would wake up in a sweat in the middle of the night because now my mind is telling my body it's 2 a.m. but there's no alcohol in the system, something is wrong. And, you know, I, I was really battling because the cravings were so extreme, but I had no access to anything. Not a drink, not a cigarette, nothing. I couldn't even smoke papers. Like I was just so beat, you know. And that is when I had to understand that there was need for acknowledgement that I needed to do something. You know, in life, we have so many um, signs and alarms that go off, but we keep snoozing them. And the body will, if you keep snoozing alarms that the body shows you, yeah, one day you'll have no alarm to snooze. And so I had to make the conscious decision to understand that there's a need for me to change. And even in that pain, I allowed myself to feel everything. I allowed myself to confront every feeling I had tucked away, even from childhood. That's when I understood I had never grieved my mom. That's when I understood that I was condemning myself for the two abortions because now I started to believe and say, oh my goodness, like these, these, are, these are kids. God had a purpose for their life. And I had to do away with the condemnation. The reason we condemn ourselves is because we hold on to things God has let go of. And so I had to allow myself to feel each and everything. And so I had to come to a place where I had to forgive myself. I wrote down everything I was blaming myself for right from childhood. Being a bad daughter, wasting 15 years of life, everything. I cried all the tears I needed to cry. And I got up one day and I just handed everything to God. And I said, God, all this is here because if I am to deal with this right now, I really see no need for me to live. And I really did contemplate suicide. I did. But by God's grace, there was just a greater conviction that came over me. That, you know what, even after all... I look back and I said, even after all these life-threatening you know, occurrences, God still has you here, Che. There's a purpose. And so I said, okay, let's do this thing. Since you refuse to take me, let's do this thing. And so I began the process of commitment to healing. A friend of mine sent me a, a, a radio station to listen to you know, through prayer because I was now waking up at odd hours of the night because now my sleep cycle had been messed up. You know, now Sobache 
is waking up in the night and why like you wake up and the body is asking you how are you sober you know and so at that time I was it was very hard for me to go back to sleep without dealing with all those thoughts and so that's when I began praying with the station in the morning and that's when I began consciously just developing a relationship with Jesus because I needed to find a way to deal and cope what births addictions is unhealthy coping mechanisms to hard situations in life and so i needed to have a renewal because there's no there's no transformation that can happen when there's no renewal so i had to do away with old information i had to do away with old ways of doing things which is difficult because as humans our psyche is just used to familiar chaos you know familiar chaos and so it was a fight the cravings did come the thoughts did come you know and people a lot of people make it seem like you know with mental health have a good mood have a, it's going to be a great day some days are not going to be great you know you know there's going to be hardships there's going to be terrible times thoughts are going to come that are going to remind you of where you came from but just having that foundation of understanding that i'm i'm not condemned that there is nothing in the world that i will ever do which is so terrible that god didn't know about you know and so i had to forgive myself i called i i had to call people i called my father i called friends i apologized to them and this is not for it, it wasn't for for them you know it was for me because you don't you don't you're not guaranteed that somebody's going to forgive you my family had given up on me a lot of friends had given up on me and so you know it was it, it really was for me it was interesting because my father is he doesn't want to be mushy but at the same time he's you know he's being a dad and then you know he was just like you know i'm glad that you've come to this and i wish you all the best in your journey of recovery and all that but we speak now we're good we're good now and uh that's exactly what it was the fr- the first step is always the worst acknowledging because what we do is we justify our habits we justify the reasons as to why we do things and so that for me was the first step of healing allowing myself to feel and then because it was a lockdown period there really wasn't a lot of interaction where you know i could go out and meet people and and all that so i started to join like online online fellowships you know i started to to watch stuff on youtube like motivational talks you know to build you i i was so intentional with being a better person because i understood that the amount of time that i spend in this boxing ring is up to me and i had to be intentional with it and it's crazy over time in it took me about 4 months until the day i woke up one day and i went through the whole day without thinking about alcohol 4 months a lot of people think that's how you know when people go to rehab centers and say you pay for one month then you pay for two months then you come out it's like popping something in the microwave and it comes out no people's journeys are different mine could have taken 4 months some people take 2 years some people take 5 and so it's all about your determination and commitment to getting better but the first step is acknowledging that you need to change it really was just me my thoughts and god that's what it was and having to renew my mind i had to remove every old piece of information that was keeping me going back to familiar chaos have it removed so that i can move on to new and better things i had to stop talking to some people because every time they we spoke <laughs> it was all about hey come over let's drink hey come over let's do this and i had to kill those interactions you know i remember i had gotten into a relationship 
in October 2020, October 2019. And on April Fool's Day of 2020, I realized that this person was in a five-year relationship with one of my good friends and they were about to get married. I relapsed at that time, but I brought myself back after about two weeks of feeling and saying, Che, it's okay. But it took me two good weeks of crying and, you know, dealing. But even then, <laughs> it was it was one of those moments where I had to to come to terms with the fact that I'm doing this for me, not for anybody else, not family, not trying to get back at former flames, not trying to, I'm, I'm doing this for me. And that is the period where I started to, you know, pick up on passions and hobbies that I had thrown away, things like content creation, writing, things like, I taught myself graphic design and that's how I started my communications consultancy. And, you know, I just began to occupy myself with things that were constructive and not destructive. Yeah, that's how the book Woman Fire Grace was born. And because I've been a writer since I was a kid, literally, like since I, I could walk, I've always composition and writing stuff. And so I began to write. That was the beginning of my healing journey because now I could f I allowed myself to feel things that I had even shut out as a child um it brought to remembrance things that happened in high school things you know I had I started discovering things about myself and I was like oh my goodness so I'm like this because when I was eight this happened oh yeah I'm like I was wondering like why is it you know stuff like that um woman fire grace was was born I wrote it on my phone on my mattress in my blanket I wrote it on my phone and I sent it to a copywriter and I told him, just, you know, just edit what you need to edit and send it to the printer. I'll send you the printer guy's number. And the book was born and it really is just a story of my entire journey and just really being a beacon of hope. Just, just to give people hope because that's really what happens when we get lost in this abyss of addiction. It's that you've lost hope. You believe that there's nothing more. You know, you've come to a, a roadblock and you're like, there's nothing more. But there's always more, you know, there's always more. And I do know that each and every one of us was born for a purpose. God is not random. He created all of us with a purpose. Your family might expect something from you, but you know you were created for a purpose. Pursue that. That's exactly what I'm dedicated to right now. Um, just going around and letting people know it's okay. It's going to be okay. You know, you don't have a problem. It's just a challenge. You just need to sit down and confront it. Woman Fire Grace is available at Nuria Bookstore and Raffle Books as well, also on Amazon. So you really are sorted if you'd like to just read the story. It's really, it starts with the mind. You know, we live in a society where we've been sold the benefits of bondage and we've romanticized bondage so much, you know. And I believe we need to come to a point where we're very honest with ourselves and change our perspective. Stop asking ourselves what's wrong with it, but ask yourself what's right with it. What, what, what's right about alcohol? No, no, what's right about it? It's not, it's not sweet. It's not delicious. What's right with it? You know, and so for me, that's, I remember during my, my, my healing process, the first step is getting free, right? And that was getting off the bottle, getting off the drugs, because I had to come to that point and understand that I shouldn't find value in these things. Like what is right about me taking this? But the only way I could stay free was finding a way of creating a new thought pattern. Because there's a saying, as a man thinketh, so is he. If you, you cannot, your feet cannot go where your mind has not taken you. I had to now start thinking that way. That I am free, I want to be free, I want to stay free. I, of course, kept looking. You know, they say, they, they say don't look at the past. But it's good to evaluate where you've been or else you're going to go back. And so it's just about 
being honest with yourself just because you see other people drinking you know you don't know what they're going through and that's how people justify these things oh but he drinks and he's still driving this car and he's still got all the ladies and he still have you don't know what kind of, of deaths this guy is dealing with you don't know what kind of issues he's dealing with and so it comes down to your personal decision and for me that's that's where my relationship with Jesus came in with walking with God and understanding that that's the only way that I can stay free why because I started making better decisions based on that people would invite me to drink I would go to I I remember they organ my family organized for me a birthday party and there was alcohol there was alcohol but I had no I had no desire to take it because now I had no desire to take it because I said now if I drink and I mess up after them seeing me here then I go get homeless I get do you understand and so it's just it was just understanding that just just knowing and acknowledging that you know what this is where I want to go this is who I want to be and I'm going to do anything and everything to do it um there's there's so many people battling what you're going through and there's so many people who have overcome mm-hmm. and I really would implore anybody who's you know going through that Don't wait for it to get worse, you know. When people like Che come out and speak, don't wait to be thrust into rock bottom, you know. It's just picking up a leaf or even a branch from what other people go through and know that there's hope, that there's hope for better, that there's there's light beyond the darkness that you're going through. that's really just the message that i constantly preach hope because that's something that anyone who's battling with substance abuse has lost mm-hmm. hope maybe they're holding on to trauma maybe they're holding on to past hurt and rejection but all these things have happened but how do you move on from that because you have to keep moving you whatever you go through in life you have to keep moving and so just go on and take that first step out of the chaos it might be unfamiliar it might be disturbing but take that first step you never know where it's going to take you as long as you know that it's not taking you in the direction of bondage you if you're going in the opposite direction you're going towards freedom i really believe that in our society we need more psychological interventions to educate people about addiction because one the addicts themselves don't know what's going on with them they don't know how to express themselves to their loved to their loved ones and also even their loved ones don't know how to deal with them especially with the african traditional mindset you know um people are stigmatized for something that really is is just something that can be done away with through love and grace and that's what you need to extend to anyone who's going through that simply love and grace we're not perfect you know just because god is dealing with you at midnight and somebody else at midday doesn't make you any better you know and addiction or substance abuse is it's it's not it's not something that should cause you to to do away with somebody you know even the way that addicts operate or how they start to to behave when they withdraw from people they're actually projecting the need for love addicts are listen addicts are annoying people they steal they lie they manipulate but the only way that they can come out of that is by being shown love that is the only way love and grace and if you are dealing with a loved one as annoying as they are as painful as it is to see them go through that just continue to show them love extend grace to them and it is through that that they will actually acknowledge that their behavior is you know a, a problem 
to your relationship and that's how they can actually come to the beginning of their healing process catch more african stories in the next episode of legally clueless that was such a powerful story by Che. And I love that she was so honest and vulnerable with us about even just relapsing and what that meant for her. And it's it's scary to, to think about, you know, her mom battling alcoholism, her brother, her late brother battling alcoholism, and her as well. I remember once I had a relative who was battling alcoholism. And when we were checking him into rehab ones the entire family had to go and the guy leading this rehab center who is talking to all of us and kind of like getting us to commit that we are not going to enable him etc etc was talking also about like the addictive gene and how you know you kind of have to be alert if there are people in your family who have battled some form of addiction. And I genuinely think my dad was an alcoholic. This was way back in the day. I'm not even sure we we knew the term and I was just so young. And so it's always like at the back of my head, especially when it comes to my relationship with alcohol, I'm just always alert. (laughs) And just like right now, kind of going through the, the season of super reduced my alcohol intake, And just wondering, like, can I bring it all the way down to zero? Yeah, kind of having those conversations with someone who's really close to me and and myself. Just also questioning, why why is there whiskey in the house? You know, just randomly, why is there gin? Just chill. I don't even drink gin. (laughs) Why is it in my house? And yeah, I don't know. If you're having the same conversations, it would be nice to connect hit me up on our Instagram page. That's Legally Clueless Africa. So about Che's book, which I think everybody should get, I have my copy. She graciously gifted me one. If you're in Kenya, the book is available at Nuria Books, at Rafu Books, at Fastcom. And I've put links and directions to those bookstores in the show notes. It's also available on Amazon in case you're not in Kenya. And a link to that is in the show notes as well. You should definitely go and buy one. I've also put links to Chair's social media platforms in case you have a question or you want to connect with her. Or maybe you're also battling alcoholism and it it just would help to talk to somebody who has been there. I know she's more than open to have that conversation with you one-on-one. Remember, if you want to share your story on this podcast, there is a Google form to fill. It's in the show notes. Fill it out and I will get back to you. You can also catch this podcast on Trace FM here in Kenya. Head over to traceradio.co.ke and you can download their app for easier listening. We're there every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. Every Friday at 1 p.m. The playlist! (laughs) It's finally out, the first one. Check it out. A link to it is in the show notes. Audio episodes like this got every single Monday in case you're new here. And you can check out our video series. Season 3 is out. Just head over to LegallyCluelessAfrica.com. And as usual, I am wishing you tons of grace. This is just not something I say without thought. I genuinely think if you extend grace to yourself as a human... You know, don't shame yourself for mistakes you've made. Love yourself 
into doing better you then will be able to extend grace to others so yeah i'm sending you tons and tons and tons of grace i'll catch you right here next week in the next episode that's it for this episode of legally clueless you can share this podcast with your friends you can keep it for yourself i'm not judging just make sure you're here next week for the next episode